Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, U.S. soccer and Watford FC legend Jay Demerit joins us for round two. Justin Chesham of Christopher Newport University men's soccer and Brendan Bordage of William & Mary men's soccer discuss with Jay his friendship with Elton John, growing a mentorship practice with his partner Danny Wilson called Rise and Shine Mentorship, and working on systems built off the pillars of belief, respect, work ethic, and positivity. Jay's energy is contagious, and he's doing great things through his various ventures and speaking engagements. There's a lot to learn from this one. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. All right. So, you know, for me, I think, you know, when I first signed for the Watford, I didn't know the correlation, how, how deep it went with Elton John, you know. So I think for me, just not kind of knowing he was involved in the club, but that was about it. Um but then, you know, you always know when he's in the stadium because people just tell you or, or you know, this, this, the vibe just grows, right? And so I had heard that he had been in the stadium. It was my first season and he uh, and, and he was in the stands that day. And, you know, like you always kind of know he's there. But like after the game, he comes into the locker room and, and, and uh, you know, I'm sitting there in my underwear hanging out, doing whatever after the game. And, and all of a sudden I hear, you know, he comes in with his entourage because you know, he, he's, he's got minders. And so it's like... If, he never goes anywhere on his own, and 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 that's fair. So he, uh, all of a sudden, I hear in his voice, like he's saying, his voice is so unique, and he's just like, "Where's the American?" <laughs> and I hear this <laughs> in the background, and I'm like, "Wait, like, how is he?" I, I'm the only American in the room, I think, and so like I'm like, I think he's talking about me, but why is Elton John talking about me? You know what I mean? I just, I just signed up. But I, again, at the time, I didn't even know, like, you know, he was very close to Americans. He loves America. America helped make him famous. He took his tour of America that, that really put him on the map. So I didn't know he had this, like, affinity for Americans. And so already I'm, I'm getting this this kind of treatment from Elton. And he sits down next to me and, he, and he's like, so I hear, I hear you're from the States and I, and I hear you're from Wisconsin. And so, you know, again, I don't know if he's done his research or his people do. It doesn't matter. But the fact that he was talking about me before I even talked about him is was, was pretty crazy, you know, and just shows the level of respect that he has for the players and, and he has for the club, you know, in all honesty. And, you know, he's been the president twice. Um, he famously, with Graham Taylor, the manager, took Watford from the fourth to the first division. Um, you know, and he, so he's been a, a legend at the club and he grew up in the terraces as a boy. So, you know, that's his affiliation with the club. And, and it really does run that deep. It was one of the ways that he really connected with his father, who never really connected with him outside of his music or with his music and all the other stuff. And so it goes really deep with Elton. And in a way, it's beautiful to see someone of that stature really care so much about a little community club. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, that's what that's what really makes this game special and especially our relationship as it grew. Um, so it kind of started with that and he starts talking about Green Bay and, and he, and he's like, Oh, Brett Favre's retiring. And we'll start talking about Brett Favre. And so I'm sitting there like talking to this King of Kings with that, like in my underwear, talk about Brett Favre in my first ever season as a pro. Like it was kind of crazy to, to, to kind of be in that environment. But then, you know, as I became captain a couple years later, and then of course scored the goal that got us promoted two years later, you know, like he's just, 
you know, you think of, of an owner or someone that loves the club and you think about my role in those situations and, and, and it just like, and he just vibes and we vibe. And so whenever I see him, he comes to the shows, I, I train his kids when they're in town. And like, you know, we just have turned into a great kind of friend relationship over the, the last 20 years, basically. And when I was captain of Watford, he would, you know, he'd helicopter in a couple of days, you know, throughout the season and come see the guys. And, and, you know, I have the privilege to, you know, meet him first and introduce him to all the new players as captain and things like that. And so, you know, as I got into that role, you know, we just became friends and we'd go have lunch with, with the coaches and whatever. And, you know, within that, you, you, you learn a lot about his care and love for the club, but you also learn about, you know, how deep it goes with, with someone like that who doesn't really have to care. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's up at five in the morning watching games. He's, he's he's sending emails to the owners going like sell the goalkeeper like you know stuff like that so you know it's just you know he's just one of those guys that's just so um you know he's just so charismatic and then when you put that to the club that you actually got to captain and play over 200 games for it becomes a pretty special relationship and 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 it's still continuously, you know, like he comes to Vancouver every now and then and I get to see him and, and I got to introduce him to my mom this year. It was her birthday and when he had the show and, you know, he shouts us out on stage and, you know, he doesn't do that for anybody. So it's a pretty cool relationship to be in that people like texting me after the show, like, what the hell? Like, what is that? How is Elton John shouting you on stage? Like the only one, you know what I mean? Right. Like, and so it's just like, again, I'm like, it's just a long story, you know, it goes deep. And, uh, and again, it's a special thing and I'm just so, so privileged to be able to kind of call him a friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about like the role of being a captain of, of a big club like that, you know, or I guess it became a big club, um, while you were there really. Um, but like what the role is and, you know, what was expected of you and, and those sorts of things. Well, you know, and I think as an American that got to England at 22, 23, like I wasn't, I didn't know much about the culture of the game, you know, and we didn't have much of a culture of a game, you know, back in 1998 to 2001 or two, when I was playing in the States, like MLS was still fairly new. You know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, cultural work to do. And I think when I got to England, that's really when I started to learn about football culture. You know, I grew up in Green Bay with the other football culture. And, and so, you know, I, I didn't really see how those correlated. But then when I got to, you know, Watford, that I did. I saw a small community club that really cares for, for its players and its community. And it's a family-run club. It's just like Lambeau Field is to the Packers. And I think, you know, when I could see that on a, on a soccer level, um, it really it really drove me to kind of be a deeper part of that. And, and I think first you got to make a team, then you got to earn your stripes, and then you can talk about leadership. You know, the, the English will never let you lead until you're ready. That's for sure. And, and I think, um, you know, those first couple seasons, I was able to show the type of player that I was, the type of player that belonged in those types of terraces and, 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 and at that kind of club. And I think that relationship was always pretty solid. You know, I never had to, you know, go deeper than that, you know, because I was already there. But, but in a way, when you can start to practice it and be a part of it, that's when it becomes really special. And I think as an American to captain an English club, it, you know, again, it, it is rare. You know, it's, it's happened on a very few occasions throughout throughout the history of Americans playing over there. But in a way, it becomes the ultimate privilege because you see how deep it is. And when you become a, a leader in those environments, you see how much of an impact you can make. You see how much people care and how it really does drive their week and it drives the whole culture of the town. And and, and that's rare because in America, we don't have that. We have, 
you know, an NHL team that drives the town or we have a, an NFL team that drives the town. And now for the first time ever, we're starting to get soccer communities that drive the town. And, and for the first time ever, we're starting to understand what that's like and what, and, 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 and the, the, the pressure that comes with that, the, the camaraderie that comes with that, the community that comes with that, the, uh, you know, the relationships that come with that. And with that, you know, that's culture. That's, 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 that's what that football is. And the rest of the world has known this for hundreds of years, but we're just starting to get it. We're just starting to kind of come into the zone. Where we're like, holy cow, like we can eat, sleep and breathe this all week. And then we get Saturday again. Whoa, this is cool. Like I've never done that for soccer before. And then we got Premier League on the Sundays and the Saturdays, and we're all getting up at five in the morning to watch our favorite clubs. And, you know, this is culture, you know, and so to be a part of that and to lead that, I learned so much. I had a lot of pressure taken off. I was actually just going to write this post today. I haven't written it yet, but it was about my first time I got my captaincy taken away. And, and it was about like, you know, you get in this leadership role and then all of a sudden it's like, you're not ready for it. And the pressure's too high. And the coach is like, dude, like your performances are lacking. And, and so for me, that happened my, when we came down from the Premier League um, and we, we were leading by 10 points at Christmas to the championship and, and we let our captain go and, and A.D. Boothroyd called me in his office. He says, Jay, I want you to be my next captain. And, you know, that was my that was my third season as a pro. And so for me, you know, that was fairly new. I was just starting to get used to the culture, but I'm not going to say no. I mean, what an honor, what an opportunity. And, and so for me, I took it on. But by the end of that season, we had we limped into the playoffs to go back to the Premier League. We lost to Hall. And for that Hall game, he, he pulled me in his office. And he said, I think your performances are just, I want you to worry more about you. You look like you're caring too much about other people. And in the armband, and I remember these words, he said, the armband looks a bit too heavy. Right? And at the time I was pissed off at the time. I didn't like it, but I realized that he was totally right. My, my performances weren't that great. We, we lost a lot of the supporting cast at the end of that season. Uh, our goal scorer um, got injured and we, we dried up and, and more pressure came out the back and I was a center back and we were letting in stupid goals and, and I was too busy trying to care about everyone else because I thought that's what a captain had to do. And I, and I was the one missing my mark or I was the one that was play, playing pretty inconsistently. And, and so I kind of limped into the playoffs. I, I didn't wear the armband for that game. We lost. Um, and then I had an off season to think about it and, and, and really th- – you know, that was a good soul searching mission uh, for me, you know, to do a captain in the Premier League, to have a great Premier League season, come down, almost make it back up, get your captaincy taken away. Like in a year's time, that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And as a leader that that really started to make its mark on, on leadership alone and leadership isn't one thing. Leadership is a lot of things. And you guys are all leaders within your within your your teams. And, and so you guys know what that's like, because you got to deal with, you know, 25 other people and other egos and other people's needs and other people's wants while still trying to lead and do a good job as the leader. And so the captaincy is like that. We work with our coaches to do that. But when you're when you're in a situation where that's not happening or you're finding it hard to lead or you're finding it hard to take care of your own performances, you know, then that starts to strain. And, and I, I just, I'd learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what other people expect. And then I also learned about actually understanding what the role is. You can't try too hard. You can't take on other, other people's burdens too much. You can't take their energy because you got your own. And then it starts to affect you. And so, you know, I, I learned a lot in those seasons. And then the next season he gave it back to me and I capped on the team for another two years in the championship. And, it was an honor and a pleasure. And, 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 and again, I, I created an incredible relationship. That's another reason why I didn't go anywhere else when I left. I didn't go to Stoke. I had a couple other deals like that on the table to go sideways, I would say. 
and uh, for different roles, but they didn't offer me leadership. They just offered me another contract to stay in the championship in the Premier League. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to Watford and play seven seasons and, you know, 200 plus games and then be like, oh yeah, hey, I'll see you guys next weekend. You know, like I didn't really get that. I don't really get that. I still don't really get why players do that. Um, but for me, why well, I had no other I had choices to come here or in Vancouver or go other places. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go sideways in England. I, I think feel like that's disrespectful because of the relationship we had, because of the culture that we created together. Like if you, if you stay in that environment, you'll have that forever. If you go play at Stoke or you go play at somewhere else that's like them in those teams that go up and down, then we're just, I'm just another guy on the team sheet. You know what I mean? And, and, and I never wanted to be that. And, I, and that wasn't the relationship I had with the club. Yeah. Um, you go, go ahead, cheese. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, this is, um, it's really, it's really interesting what you're saying. And it's exactly kind of what I wanted to dive into. And you actually threw an extra, this little last thing you said is a little, little extra caveats. It's interesting how you talked about, you wouldn't go sideways. And I, when I think of that, I'm comparing it to, you know, the recruiting, this is obviously a recruiting thing that we're talking about. It's, it's amazing how compare that to kids nowadays with the transfer portal. I mean, kids, they get unhappy like that. I mean, I can't imagine how a kid would handle getting a camp captaincy taken away. And uh, kids today, I mean, I, I say kids today, I'm 40. I'm just now at the point where I'm like, all right, I don't understand their music. I can't, I still can't, I don't know what no cap means. I heard that the other day. I was like, oh, that's, that's new. I don't know what that means. I thought they're talking about a hat, but it's not a hat. And uh, the disconnect's getting interesting for me. And I got kids now, so I'm like, I'm either coaching games or I'm dealing with my five-year-old, you know? So it's kind of a, I don't really have that college in me anymore. And uh, But I, I've really noticed the difference in kids nowadays. I'm listening to you talk about how you lost your captaincy. You spent the entire summer or the entire offseason soul searching. What did I do wrong? You came to the conclusion that it was on me. I needed to do better. It's to me like that's amazing stuff. That's how I grew up. Dad was a Marine. I lived a certain lifestyle. I grew up just like you, man. Football, American football. You know, guys like Ditka or, you know, in basketball, Bobby Knight, these coaches that were like legendary that, man, you're going to get hit by a chair if you're in Bobby Knight's wheelhouse. And uh, just nowadays, you just don't hear anything like that. And I think of these kids, I, I run into these issues all the time. And even, even this season, after a couple wins, kids still come in the office, they're upset. They don't like the way we're playing. I'm like, no, we just we just won three straight games. Like, what's what's the problem here? And uh, you know, you work with these kids, comparing it to your own experience here. I mean, what do you think you're you're experiencing now with these little with the younger ones? How is the generations different? How are you keeping up with them? Are you finding that disconnect? You know, uh, socially mm -hmm. with them, uh, like no, coaches can find. And what do you think there? I mean, it's a good question and it's a huge topic, you know, at the moment, you know, I, I talk to coaches all the time and, and coaching and leadership in general is becoming very difficult. Um, and again, I speak on leadership a lot now because I, I, I teach holistic programming. So within that, we, you know, sports is just a part of our programs. We teach arts, we teach, you know, DJing, we do a lot of music stuff. We do just generalized leadership, you know, a lot of, a lot of holistic teaching within, within high performance. And so, I get in this conversation a lot and, and, and I experience it a lot because I run teenage programs. And so, I mean, the first thing is, is um, just their inability or lack of wanting to get out of their comfort zones because it's because we've lived in this life of now, 
easy street where everything is available to us. Everything is instant and gratification. And so now we just want that over and over again. That's the dopamine hit that we crave. And so, but instead of staying in something, I'd rather just go to the next person that I can maybe get that with. And then I just keep going and going and going. But meanwhile, I'm just spinning my wheels and I'm not really developing because I'm just doing the same thing based on my patterns and what, what, what gives me that instant gratification. And so leadership does become important because leaders go, no, stay in it. No, this is what I did. And it's important for you to work through this process. And now you should try that. And if you're a good leader or if they respect you, sometimes they'll listen, but sometimes they don't because their support system will tell them otherwise or their parents will be like, no, it's fine. You get the transport porters open. There's these three coaches that are telling you that this is what you should do. Again, it's hard not to say one way or the other because opportunity is real. And I mean, imagine the parents that have way more opportunity than we used to have. You know, like we had one state university that would maybe take a chance on us and and maybe a D3 or whatever. Like now the, the network is just vast and there's places you can go and there's I would say the competition has become greater because it used, we used to just stay in our own states. Now you can go everywhere and anywhere if you have the internet. And so with that becomes a bigger pool. Um, but again, I, I go back to the, to the source and that is how do you create more belief and a mindset for kids to start to understand that it's their journey. And so then they start to rely on themselves to make decisions at 18, 17, 16, you know, where, where they are capable of making their own decisions, but the development to reach that is, is becomes the crucial point. If you know how to self-lead, you can, you can make your own decisions as a young person. And I mean like 18 to 22, like I'm looking, I'm looking into high school, early college. Like this is where we should start being able to teach young people that at that age, you're on your own, go get it, find out what you are. This is what, Mm -hmm. this is where you live in this world of work ethic and, and taking things on. So by the time you're 23, you're a pro, or at least you're starting to get your feet wet in professionalism. That's cool. That's a good path. But now we're like at 15, you're right. like, oh, you didn't make it pro yet? You don't got pros on your list? You know, well, how college are you going to go to? You know, like we're already thinking about pros instead of like, you're 15, let's develop the shit out of you so you can figure it out by right. the time you're 18 or 19 and go have some good mental health and go in and challenge yourself to whatever it is that you so desire. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, like, are we teaching skill sets enough where that's that range is big enough where they actually have decisions no are we teaching are we teaching a skill set to a certain high performance yes but now we're not teaching the mindset with it and so what happens when your skill is so great that all of a sudden your skill gets tested at a professional level what happens next is that you get tested and if what happens next after that is that your mindset starts to be <laughs> and if your mindset isn't there Right. It's that's where you're going to fail. Who cares about the skill set anymore? Because your mindset wasn't there with it. And now you're not high performance. And so with that, like, I believe that at that age, we start to teach mindset more. We got to put more, more effort into teaching the mind and teaching thought process and to think about how to take on adversity. It's not the adversity itself. That's the shitty part. That's no, no one wants to do until it happens, but we can prepare for it. We can talk about it. If this happens, then or what have you thought about this, this, this not working? Have you thought of, and again, when you when you can introduce that idea in a lighter way, or you can communicate failure before it happens, then what happens next is the failure happens, because that's guaranteed. And then what happens next is that kid goes, oh yeah, shit, I've talked about this before. I've talked about failure. I remember having that conversation with coach. Maybe this time I'll just practice that, even though it's hard and my parents are telling me to move or I'm not happy here. But I remember talking about this and I remember seeing that story of that basketball player that took it on. And this is where the storytelling of others becomes important too. You can't take on the burden alone because A, they might not relate to your burden as much as they'll relate to the NBA player that actually just got dropped from France that does some other thing. 
And this is why storytelling becomes important. And that's why I bring in a mentor of the day, because it's not just my story. If I'm just sitting there alone in my pillar of this experience, then I'll lose half the room anyway, because they're not going to relate to me because their stories aren't like mine. But if I could put a story in of some other coach that's done something or some photographer that's just done a photo shoot with Lamborghini and what's it like to shoot million dollar cars. Cool. Well, I actually like cars. And that all of a sudden that photographer starts talking about how he broke into the industry and he got three contracts that didn't work for him. But then eventually he broke through those and he got the Lamborghini contract two years later. And now he made a hundred grand in a day. You know what I mean? Like, okay, cool. That's high performance storytelling, but it's also breaking through adversity. And so all of a sudden that kid in the audience who doesn't really care about soccer or it's a second interest because he really loves cars now understands that adversity is key and because that photographer taught him that. And so now you, now it just becomes like your teachers to this environment become more important because now it's like we have this instant gratification and relation that we need if I'm 15 and I want to listen. And so if I want to listen, I got to get something to open my ears. And if you can't do it, coach, then I might be able to, or if not, then maybe Scott can. And if not, then Brennan can, you know what I mean? Like, that that becomes the idea of of how we can use community to teach or at least to offer because that's where mentorship lives. Like I look at Deion Sanders and what he's doing right now, you know, like say what you will about his personality and his character, but I love it because what he's doing is putting people under pressure in a supportive way. He's going, you think you can do this? I don't want to put these guys under pressure. And if you can't, cool. I love you so much. And I appreciate why you're here. And I, and I, and I know that if, even if we fail tomorrow, we're going to love this team and we're going to get better off tomorrow because of it. Like that's positive reinforcement, but why putting people under pressure to, with the lights on and being like, all right, guys, you say you want to go perform. We recruited you to this university. The lights are on, dude. Nine million people are watching this game on TV. Let's go get it. That's good coaching in my opinion. That's really good coaching. That's good leadership because he's not taking it on himself, but he is the pillar. He's going, this is my team, but I'll be responsible for this, but I'm challenging you. I'm challenging my son. I'm making him be cool and I'm helping him be cool and I'm supporting that along the way because that's who he is. I'm not going to take him away and say, you can't do that. I'm going to support him in whatever it is that he thinks he can. And when he fails, we'll we'll be there with him too. And then all of a sudden that becomes good leadership. And, and, And I think that there needs to be more of that. I think there needs to be more pressure, but it needs to be with support. Of course, his network is massive. I mean, I think he just had The Rock in the locker room the other day. I mean, he's, of course, knows people that I I don't think I can call The Rock. <laughs> you know, you might be the most famous person I might be able to give a call to to talk to my guys. So, uh, you know, it's but it's, it's cool. It's a, it's a correct idea. I mean, you know, like I've got different coaches here on campus that have gone through a completely different walk of life. And maybe they can relate to player number 25 that I couldn't relate to as well as player number 15. And uh, it's, it's such a good point. I mean, I, I loved what you said there. Uh, I know this is for, you know, kids in the recruiting process, but I, I think that a bunch of coaches just took a lot of notes there. So, uh, I, I appreciate that answer. Mm. Well, again, like in the recruiting contrast is it, 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 it's a part of this. It's a part of why you choose to go or stay. And so within that, it's like, you know, where are the, what are the leaders doing with that development? How are, how are you developing as a person? What kind of support systems do you provide for these mental health challenges? You know, these are the these are the next layers of questions. And then you I believe that the communication is so key of like, okay, parent, what communication exercises do you have? Are you ready for this kid when he doesn't make it? And all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't make it. So now the parents are panicking because we talked to them too. You know what I mean? And I and I, I think that's where communication is super key in a lot of this stuff, in my opinion, and in my experience. Like you can 
you can prefab a lot of things by just by letting people know what might happen. I think a lot of coaches, because of this, you know, positive gratification of Stanford scholarships or whatever, making teams, and it becomes this like, again, this pedestal and a trophy, but they're not talking about the other 95 that don't get to make it or the ones that don't get the scholarships. And like, I just think standing in front of that is, is easier. And I think parents are starting to get clued up to that too. So if you're like, you know, I'm going to tell you that your kid might not make it or probably won't make it. Like that's a hard conversation to have. But if you speak in truth, not only do you as the coach relinquish a bit of that pressure, but the parents now actually understand the hard truth that their son is in for or their daughter is in for. And that, again, the truth hurts sometimes, but the truth is never not the truth. And so when you live in truth as a coach or a player, and again, the truth was I got my capacity taken away because my hand was too heavy. That was the truth. But it took me a little bit of my blinders to take them off, took a little self-reflection, again, mental health work, and a coach that gave me support along the way. And he checked yeah. in with me. How's the summer going? What are you up to? You know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, I just took the captaincy away and I know you're pissed off at me, but I'm still here. I still want to give it back to you. What are you going to do about it? You, you know what I mean? That's just communication. That's not me sitting here with my mental health going, oh, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what other captain he's thinking about. Meanwhile, he's thinking about giving it back to me, but he hasn't told me. That's bad leadership, in my opinion. But if you go, hey, I want to give it back to you. I'm not sure if I want, if, if I am yet, because I got some other great players in mind. But if I give it back to you, I just want to make sure you're ready for it now. That's not going to, it's going to light a fire in my ass. It's going to make me understand the situation as a whole. So I'm not sitting in my head the whole summer. And I know that I got a fire up my ass because there's three other guys. I know there are good players that could take the captaincy because that's an honor. You, you know what I mean? And, and so with that now becomes a, a whole nother mental relationship with understanding than it does to sit and sit here and think if I need to transfer to some other team because I want to go make it easier for myself. Right. You know what I mean? That is not, it's not the way it should be, but it's a two way street in communication in that, in that environment. I'd agree more. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about self-leadership, Jay. This is a, you know, I, I tend to skew toward theoretical stuff sometimes. Um, so you talk about, it sounds like losing the captaincy may have been like the, the impetus for you to, to really start thinking hard about self-leadership and about, like, as you said, keeping getting your own house in order before you can worry about other guys or the, the things that are going on kind of on the bigger picture with the team. So, you know, we, I've heard a lot about self-leadership as a concept in, in all the, in all my schooling and a lot of my experience. <clears throat> and there are a lot of other self hyphen qualities and attributes and, and terms, <clears throat> excuse me, or concepts that we throw around. So I'm curious how you view one way of viewing it is that, you know, leadership is kind of the umbrella term and that all these other things fall under it. So whether we're talking about self-belief, self-awareness, self-reliance, self-esteem, all that kind of stuff, right? All the selves can fit. They can fit under self-leadership. You know, you can, you can make that case. So I'm really curious because, you know, I saw another, another podcast you did where you, you talked heavily about the idea of self-leadership and how that's yeah. kind of fundamental. I think you guys lost me for a second there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you talked on another podcast about the importance of, or the fundamental self-leadership concept, you know, to kind of to kind of underlie a lot of the things that you do. How do you fix self-leadership in kind of that constellation of concepts? So if we're talking about self-reliance, self-awareness, self-esteem, and you put self-leadership there, what is what does that relationship look like in your head if you have an idea about that? 
Yeah, no, and I do. And it's funny. I, this is, this is the topic I speak on now. Uh, I need to come to William and Mary and talk to the boys, but, uh, I think, you know, I actually just gave this talk to you. I see my university to all the student body uh, a couple weeks ago and as they're kind of welcome back. And so I got approached about this subject two years ago to speak at the national coaches conference for, 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 uh, for the States. And so it was all about part of the wellness sector, but Sky Eddy, who, who runs the wellness for the, for the convention was like, um, Jade, your story was all about self-led. Like no one told me to pack a backpack with 1400 bucks and move to England on my own. Like what, like that's a self-led prophecy. But so she's like, can you dive into that a little bit more? And so with that time, it, it really, it was an interesting topic because I never really thought about it that way, but it really did divulge. I did a lot of research on self-leadership. What are those things? And then I had this relation of how did that actually work in my world? And so I, I, I do this whole talk now on self-leadership of how you can start to unlock yourself to your point. Like you can't, until you, you clean your own house, you can't clean anybody else's. And I like the way that you put that. And I think it's, it's so important. And so for me, I, I've broken it down into, in, into four steps and each one really unlocks the next. Um, and so the first one of, uh, to really tr truly start to unlock self is, is, is intention. Like, why are you here? Like, what do you want to get out of this season? Whether you want to get out of this sport, what do you want to get out of whatever? All of these things come back to an intention that allows you to understand why you're in the room. Is it because you just hang out with your homies and it's fun for you? Because you know that your future isn't in soccer and you're just, you're trying to, you know, just be social. Cool. Great intention. It's because my, my dad has been told telling me for the last 10 years that he wants me to go to this university and I really want to just make him proud and do that. Cool. That's a cool intention too. And, and all of them are different and some are scholarship based, some are fun based, some are social based. But if you don't know, start back into why, like that's your number one why. And so intention starts it all from there that it, now it goes to self-awareness and awareness isn't just of self awareness is what's going on around you. The environments that you create. I tell a lot of stories about when I first got to England, if I was unaware and I was just this like loud American dude that likes to party and, 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 and play hard, like, I probably wouldn't have respected the locker room. I wouldn't have expected that respected that environment. But I was sitting with the youth club. I was last in line at the meals. I was I didn't say a word until somebody spoke to me. And if I was asked, I would speak up because I had to respect the English environment because they are already walking into that door with my intention to play professional soccer. My awareness created this shut up and don't say a thing until you play and you play well. And if you get spoken to, speak back. That's respecting of the environment because I already knew walking into that door as an American, I was I was not getting the respect that I deserved because they didn't think Americans can play. They still don't really, but they're starting to finally learn. But at that point, they didn't. And so I knew that. And if I wouldn't have respected my environment from being aware around that environment, I never would have. I, I probably would have been different in that locker room or I would have been received different in that locker room. And so, like, I always try to relate stories to where I was and why. And so that unlocks the awareness piece and why awareness really helped me. And then as a player, how did I get aware? What did, how did I just play to my strength? How did I not play to my weaknesses? That was awareness. I'm not playing that 40-yard switch because I wasn't ready for it in my first championship games. That's a ball I need to hit. I'm aware of that, but I'm also aware that I can't hit that in a game. I'm going to hit that 10 times in a row in training before I hit that in a game. Like that's awareness around the subject, but it's also awareness around the environment. So like I do a lot about awareness. Awareness now starts to unlock the last piece, the third piece, and that's confidence. Like that's confidence in self. When confidence is the skill sharpening zone, where you know kind of why you're there, you like why you're there, you're aware of what the environment makes you there, but now you got to work, and that's the confidence piece that starts to build when you're in the confidence phase. 
you're learning to play those balls. You got nine starts in a row. Your confidence starts to ooze out. And then now you're confident in your abilities. You know which swords to play. You know which swords to sharpen. That's, but you're still confident in those things. And with that, that's going to come with this confidence of being. From there, now you actually add unlocks the true belief. And when you believe you can, you will. And so belief is the true, is the, is the true version of why you achieve things in this life. Because you think you can. When you believe that you can, you will. But true belief is actually something that's really hard to, hard to unlock. How many players do you know that think they can be pros? Hey, do you believe that you can? They're all like, yeah, coach, 100%. You know, I know, they know. But the idea is when you can unlock those things because you've done the work, you've sharpened swords, you've put swords away that no longer serve you. You're aware of what makes you good. You're aware of what you need. You're aware of how to communicate. You know why you're in the room and you have goals and, and, and vision set at the intention phase. Now you can manage that situation. And that situation is unlocking your true potential and, and a true belief that you can go and be or lead or do whatever it is that you want desire. But then once that happens, now you actually unlock the second part. And that's the rest of the world. How do you create interpersonal relationships? How do you lead others? How do you how do you become a captain? How do you how do you deal with fans? How do you go to class and be on time? These are outside factors that you that you sometimes can't control, but you need to start controlling in a self-led world because now you actually know how to lead yourself. But now you got to deal with all these other interpersonal relationships. You have to deal with all these other things. And so within that, it's like, how do you unlock those with this true self of being in a belief state? And I always make sure people understand that it's, it, it always is a sliding scale. Like when I was a pro and I was playing in a World Cup, I was in true belief. I'd walk out into games. I was captains of teams. I had lived in true self-confidence. And then you go out and perform. That's true high performance at the highest level. Then you retire. And I start spending my savings on entrepreneurial projects I know nothing about. I start trying to be a business person when all I really know is design and art that I got a degree for and the professional soccer world and leadership. I don't know how about time. I don't know about decks. I don't know about, you know, managing funds for a month and, and, and financial modeling and all this other stuff. I don't know about, you know, how other people are going to try to take advantage of me in business because they're trying to make money. I got back to awareness stage very quickly. <laughs> and all of a sudden my intention was still there i knew i wanted to step into new things i knew i wanted to use my degree to be creative i knew i wanted to still coach i knew i wanted to start a foundation based on my beliefs and the rise and shine mantras of what we create in this world i knew those intentions but i was very unaware of what it took to actually be good at those things get confident in them and now believe that i can go and be that in all those professions that's i made a lot of mistakes i'm still making a lot of mistakes you know, but now I'm back into, I'm teetering between awareness and confidence right now. And I'm five years in. Yeah, that's great. I love the idea that, that getting to belief is, belief has to have a foundation, right? And this is, I, I wrote my dissertation on collective belief, like it, specifically in college soccer teams and like how you build it and how you sustain it and what it looks like and that kind of thing. And the idea that it's all very context specific. Like I can believe that I'm a good driver, but you put me on the streets of San Francisco in a clutch. And am I really a good driver? Right? Like that's where that stuff, the context is super important. And that goes back to your, your discussion of the knowing the environment, you have to know the environment before you can believe that you can be successful in that environment. So I think that that model that you have, that four-step model really encapsulates that nicely. It's really logical and it's really, a great blueprint, like anyone could follow it.
Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. See you on the trail.